Hi and welcome to You Are Never The Only One, hosted by me, Kat Sims. Now, you may think you're special, that your worries, fuck-ups and fun times are unique only to you, that only you can get so many things wrong so much of the time. Well, I'm here to prove to you that, in the nicest possible way, you're not special or unique. You don't fuck up any more than the rest of us and that even though it doesn't always feel like it, you are, in fact, never the only one. You're never the only one. Welcome to a very special episode of You're Never the Only One. Now, I have been trying to get Jimmy Sims on board in terms of having this conversation about relationships, marriage, divorce, where we were, how we brought it back from the brink, couples therapy, and all things associated with that for a really long time. I am delighted that he's finally agreed because I think that having this conversation from the perspective of a man as well as a woman is so important. I hope that this episode is helpful and I hope that it makes you feel more comfortable about admitting that you may need to do some work on your relationship. As ever, I think the biggest problem that we struggle with is speaking up, asking for help for fear of being judged or being made to feel like a failure. None of those things are true. It is tough being married. It is hard work and it's work that you have to do every damn day. So, without further ado, here is my wonderful husband, Jimmy Sims, and I discussing all the ins and outs of our marriage. Not those kinds of ins and outs, goodness me. So I know this is a solo podcast with no guests, but I don't think Jimmy really counts because he's my husband. He just happens to be around. But that being said, I'm very, very, very grateful, darling, that you have agreed to do this. Now, for those of you who may not know, I've been really open about the struggles Jimmy and I have been through as a couple, and I don't share that stuff gratuitously. I share it because I think it's something that people don't talk about enough because they're worried that A, saying it out loud makes it worse, or B, that it sounds like they're failing. And we're all so quick to portray our relationship externally as fine that it doesn't create a safe space for someone to put their head above the marital parapet and say, hi, we're not fine. We're really not fine. In a nutshell, and Jimmy, you can tell me if you think that I've nailed it here, our relationship got to a point where separation was seriously mooted as the only option. And somehow and this is the thing I think that shook us both we'd ended up in a place where we had so much resentment and anger for each other that we could barely stand to be in the same room but neither of us had affairs or committed some sort of enormous relationship sin but nonetheless slowly but surely our relationship had descended into a place of constant negativity and disappointment we eventually decided that we would give couples therapy another go and it was that process that brought us back together because it helped us both see where the anger and resentment was coming from and work through it. Jimmy, would you say that was a fair assessment? I would say that's exactly a fair assessment of where we were at, yeah. Now, before we get into it, um, 
at the risk of starting another fight, uh, I just want to point out one thing. When I was saying, can we do this podcast recording when I get back from the dentist, you said, yeah, but babe, can you please hustle back from the dentist because I've got stuff to do. And when we got into the house, tell me, what was the first thing that you did? I went for a round two with my poo. You went for a poo? Well, it's, it's you can't, if you've started round one, you can't, <laughs> you can't then just delay round two. It's ding, ding, it's there. It's <laughs> Ding, ding, time to go. Yeah, come on. It's, okay. We've started the fight. I'm just saying that some stereotypes are true. Yeah. Listen, let's move on. But first of all, thank you for coming on. Because I have been asking for ages and I know that this is so far out of your comfort zone. Um, but we are going to talk a bit about our relationship, why it got so bad. Do you know what? I don't think this is far out of my... I would happily do... And I have done podcasts, but I think it it's a matter of, you know, with a lot of the sort of mental health stuff that you talk about, I just don't know how much my voice adds. Do you know what I mean? It's There's yeah. a lot of voices and, and, and a lot of people saying a lot of very sensible things. I, I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> Not in a Liam Neeson way, in, in like a, <laughs> you know, a... a, a a mental health professional is not one of them well but I think that's the point because I think a lot of women are very open to talking about our relationship issues you know and I think that yes. we do we're much more comfortable talking about that stuff and I think what's cool is for people to hear it from a man's perspective the other side of the coin because they're mm. you know they've they've only heard one side of the story yes so I think that's helpful, but also the amount of messages I get from women who really want to go to couples therapy, but their husbands are just point blank not into it. Mm. Lots of people think that you're going to get divorced if you go into couples therapy. What would you say to a man who, or to a couple? You could probably hear the dog. The dog started chewing the dead plant in Jimmy's office. Let's get back to it. What would you say to a couple where one of them was really reluctant to go to therapy? This is where it's, it, 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 it feels a bit odd to me because growing up, for me, people weren't necessarily in, in therapy when I was growing up, but mental health was something that we definitely spoke about. I was very lucky, you know, growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, pe people in my family spoke about mental health and that sort of thing so I, I think I came from a place of being quite open to the idea of therapy and also you know I'd, I'd been in therapy myself you know for one reason or another in my 20s I started going to therapy so I was sort of I was already aware of how therapy had worked for me before and it really had worked so I was sort of open to it but but to initially sorry to, to no I was trying to interrupt you that, that's um that's the way our relationship goes do yeah. go on <laughs> um see therapy in action um <laughs> for me i was given you know to coin a phrase uh, given the gift of desperation i was desperate to do something to save my mental health to save my life you know so so therapy was at the time in my early 20s the only option for me you know when i was on the floor so so i think it felt like a natural step yeah when we were struggling you know like a lot of this stuff and i think this will probably come up again this this idea is like you know you get to a point where you've got a choice and the choice is call it quits and split or go and sit in a room with somebody and get uncomfortable yeah because i always said that you know and when people when people sort of say that to me i always go do you know what I, 
I was reluctant because I was the one that kind of mooted separation. I was the one that brought it to the table. Not that you weren't unhappy as well, but I, I was the one that kind of spoke up. Yeah. And at that point, I was reluctant to go back to couples therapy. Yeah, we'd already been. We, we had already little, been, but I'd bit. been cheating. Like I'd been. You'd been cheating? Well, no, cheating at therapy because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine if that was the bombshell that I dropped on this podcast. Yeah, this is the reason I've got you here. <laughs> I'd been cheating at therapy because you're, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, you're quite codependent. Yeah, I have moments. Which means that you're much more likely to take on blame, to take on responsibility for issues. And so previously to that, I think I had allowed you to do that and not perhaps stepped up enough and owned my own shit. One of of the things about me is that I do have an overinflated sense of responsibility, yes. (laughs) which I think I was manipulating to my own advantage in early therapy sessions. Your words, not mine. That being said, then, what would what would you say, how would you describe what couples therapy is like? Because I think that's what people are afraid of. If they haven't been through therapy and they don't know the process, what can they expect in couples therapy? Because I think a lot of people think they're going to go there and get blamed and told they're a terrible person. I can speak from our perspective. I can't, you know, this, this, and with our therapist, I can't speak for every type of couples therapy. But my experience was that it is a soft play. <laughs> so I love your analogies and I have no idea where this one's going, but I'm so excited no, about but it. Y- you know, when you take the kids to soft play and they can experiment with, oh, what happens if I, you know, run at a wall at, you know, 30 miles an hour? Oh, I'd sort of bounce off it, but it kind of hurts a bit. I probably shouldn't do that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's a safe space for you to test boundaries. To te- exactly, exactly. And because when you go in initially, my experience was you're not generally in, you may get into a fight, but you don't go, through, I think we went through the door once in the middle of a fight, maybe. But other than that, we, we you know, you go in and you're relatively calm. You can talk things through with somebody and you can bounce ideas off somebody else. There's no blame. I think that's what's important because... There were definitely times when I was called out on my shit. Yeah. And there were times when you were called out on your shit. But it was always done with a sense of understanding and empathy, not with a, not, not in an accusatory way. Not like that was your fault, but it's like, can you think about why you behaved like that? Yeah, I, well, it's not, it's not, I always felt that our therapist would help us draw our own conclusions rather than push their conclusions on us on us if that makes sense yeah my god guys can i just tell you that doing a podcast by myself is a lot more fun i've already been told i can't put my coffee where i wanted to put my coffee you can't put we've already had to swap microphones because jimmy didn't like his first microphone you are gonna get you're gonna get audience feedback saying how much better the quality of this podcast was (laughs) as opposed to the normal tat that you send in Wow. Right, come on. Yeah. So you were saying they kind of guide you to your own conclusions. And I think sometimes they do make suggestions because sometimes you just can't see the wood for the yeah, trees. Yeah, absolutely. And there were definite moments where, where, where the therapist would, would like... You Lead know, you to a light bulb moment. And go, look, this, this is definitely wrong. This is definitely right. I mean, we were lucky in a situation that, you know, on a serious note, neither of us was being physically abusive. Yeah. Neither of us was being like out and out mean so and i think perhaps in those situations maybe a therapist would intervene a bit more i don't know but for us you know we were cycling down a path and all the therapist was was training wheels you know it was our path and we decided where we were going 
but they just ever so often just stopped us falling over you know yeah I think that's it and I think as well it's it's important to know that whenever you go into a therapist there's really nothing they haven't already heard or seen before no or probably done themselves because the few therapists that I do know got into it because they'd been in therapy themselves seen the results and sort of wanted to carry that on and pass that on so so just to rewind a little bit when we were at our worst and I remember that conversation on the sofa right do you remember that conversation on the sofa um I'm not willing to admit that I don't remember don't that. Remember convers- that. You mean the, the actual pivotal conversation where I told you I yeah, thought I probably, we should separate? I probably blocked that, to be honest with you. Okay, fair enough. Well, when it was that, how did that feel for you? Because I know how it felt for me. And I do think our feelings were quite different. I think our feelings of unhappiness and dissatisfaction with the relationship manifested in different ways. I know that I felt very angry and very resentful. And every time you walked in a room, I wanted to leave the room. Mm. But I'm interested to know how that relationship at that point felt for you so as far as i remember it we'd been doing couples therapy sort of we'd been doing like once every few weeks kind of on and off for maybe a year beforehand yeah a year 18 months something and i felt like i'd got myself into i felt like we were i honestly felt like we were in an all right place (laughs) like yeah i know but i think and i think a lot of I know why you're pausing because you don't want to say a lot of men because you don't want to generalise. No. But I think that that's an important thing to say. Anecdotally, I can say, like, I have spoken to a few guys about this and they do just sort of go, oh, I thought we were kind of just plodding along all right. And it's it's like, yeah, but you weren't necessarily happy. You know, I think we were plodding along or for me, we were plodding along, but I, we, I wasn't I wasn't happy. Do you think women have higher expectations of relationships and what it should be? Do you think it's like tied into this Hollywood rom-com myth that a, a relationship should be a certain way and a man should be a certain way and there's a certain way for a man to show you that he loves you? Do you think women buy into that more and then perhaps are more dissatisfied with a relationship as a result of that, whereas men don't really and they just think, oh, well, everything's fine? I think that there is a culture in which men jokingly will be like oh I hate my wife sort of thing when they're, they're down the pub or whatever and do they this... say that no no because that's what we say too what, what that you hate your wife no women traditionally and again we are talking on general in general terms in general women get together and they find comfort in kind of talking about how awful their husbands are yeah and I think there is this trope that you're married and oh you know you get less for murder ball you and know, chain and, yeah ball and chain and all that shit and, and I think there is a bit of, you know, oh, that's just how it's supposed to be. Do yeah. you know what I mean? There is that thing, you know, I'm, your long-suffering husband, your long-suffering wife. I think you're, you're, I think there is a joke about it that has sort of bled into what we actually expect from marriage. I think, and this is going to really annoy you, I know this already, but I think on some level, men are okay in the relationship as long as they feel, this isn't the word I would choose to use, it's the only word that comes to mind, a bit mothered. Like if they feel safe in a relationship and their food, the fridge is full and things like that and everything's running smoothly, I think that for them is like, well, this is okay. Whereas I think women feel okay in a relationship if they're being emotionally stroked and told that they're special and loved and all of that. And again, I think I've oversimplified it, but I think there's a disconnect between our expectations of what a relationship should provide for us. I feel uncomfortable 
splitting that down gender lines so specifically but i will agree that i think some people are happy in relationships so long as so long as the bills are paid and the and the fridge is full and da 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 da, da. So and there's nothing wrong with i'm not saying yeah, there's anything wrong with that i'm absolutely. just saying that when those two expectations meet and they don't match that's that can cause a problem yeah i think if you do want to go down the sort of gender route i think you know traditionally in previous generations when perhaps the man was expected to be the one to go out to work and to uh, be out of the house and be bringing bringing home money and all the rest of it. I think traditionally it's probably easier for the man to just, and I'm not saying this is how it should be. Just let's disclaim it now. When we're talking about any kind of gender roles or anything like that, we're, we're talking very generally, which meaning any... may or may not apply to some people, but it's a helpful way to talk about it because okay. I think it... Um, so I think if you look at the, what I'm saying is, I think if you look at the, the quote-unquote traditional um, dynamic where, you know, the, the man gets to escape the relationship, gets to ex escape the marital home and have almost like a second life where he can be, you know, contented and happy at work and then go and be contented and happy in the pub or at the social club or whatever. Whereas the woman is traditionally always in because even when you're even when the partner's not there you're in the marriage and you're in the relationship when when you're in the house what i'm saying is i think men could drift along a lot easier yeah. because they had this second life you yeah know, there sure. are still a lot of couples where the husband is going out to work or you know where one person is going out to work sure. and the other person is fixed in the home and and that dynamic still exists you're absolutely right so we're very because we have such a different setup to most people you know we neither of us have proper jobs yes <laughs> and so we are very lucky in that we really do get the opportunity to share the load yes very evenly so a lot of people i think underestimate the impact having children has on your relationship i don't think anybody really prepares you for bringing a third person into your relationship, which is essentially what you're doing. Mm. In therapy, well, I figured out, and I think we figured out, that it was that first year of being parents mm. when Billy was born the first time, when we started to grow apart. How was that first year for you? And why do you think it had such an impact on our relationship? Um, I, we spoke about this last night, and I remember saying it. I feel like it's the first. It was the first two years, and I, but I, I think you're probably right. It oh was, no, it probably was the first two years. But I think, I think it was the first year was what set it set it up to be like that. I think it's it's just we didn't talk about, and I don't suppose anybody does. We didn't talk about what sort of parents we wanted to be. Obviously, we spoke about we we want to raise good kids, and we want to <laughs> you know this that and the other. We don't and, want them to be dicks. Yeah, and we want them to be well behaved, and but. It's the micro level. I remember play was a big thing with us. Yeah. In that, from my perspective, I was wanting to play with, with the kids all the time. And you didn't necessarily want to play with them all the time. And I was like, I couldn't understand it. And it felt a bit weird to me. But of course, later, then sort of working it through and talking about, well, actually, they're learning independent play when we're not playing with them. We didn't talk about and you don't talk about those those micro decisions that you make on a on instant, a, a instant yeah. level and and i think we were quite different ab about our parental approach and i think you know i suffer from terminal rightness you know i i, I, 
<laughs> I, my way is correct. I, I, it was always I was right, and and I couldn't see there might be another way. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's interesting because when I look back on the therapy that we did, I think, and this is the same with everybody, good or bad, to a greater or lesser extent, our own childhood and our own experience of being parented influenced hugely our the way we parented. And actually, in some respects there was elements of our childhood that were quite similar in that we often felt like we didn't fit, that we weren't really understood, that there was elements of unsafeness, which, you know, weren't necessarily dangerous, but were there enough for us to, to have an impact. And you went one way with that in your parenting, which was almost overcompensating, as in, I'm never going to leave them alone. They'll, I'll always yeah. play with them. And I went the other way in that I just need to get through the practicalities of this shit. Just to clarify again, we're saying childhood. We're not blaming parents or anything like that. Oh, no, I'm not blaming parents. No. No, I'm just saying that oh, parents don't have to be abusive or mean or unkind no, to cause... No, to have a, an odd experience. To have an impact. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your parents that's given you... No, it can that, be anything. But given, our yeah. childhood experiences yes. created our parenting, essentially, yes. or impacted yes. it. And I think we responded to that very differently. And I think in your attachment to the kids... Yeah. I then, and this is really uncomfortable for me to admit, but I got really jealous, mm. especially, and it's not Bo, because this was before that, this was with Billy. I got very, very jealous of the support and care and attention you would give to that baby. Yeah. And I felt like it wasn't coming to me. And obviously I'm there in the, in the throes of postnatal depression, which we didn't know about at the time. But we're just both feeling very, very unsafe. You feel like you have to sh shoulder everything. Yeah, and but also I remember having having arguments about this sort of stuff at the time and it, it it's like for, for me, our relationship went totally out the window. Went completely yeah. like It wasn't, it wasn't even like, on your radar. I couldn't give a fuck about yeah. what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? The most important thing is the kids and, and the most important thing is to coin the codependency phrase, this is me being a bit codependent. You, you know, I, I would fit their oxygen mask first. I would want to please and uh, give attention to the kids not only at the uh, to the detriment of our relationships so i wouldn't give you any attention but i did it to the detriment of myself yeah. you know i i ended up in an, in hospital with with heart palpitations because i wasn't eating or sleeping yeah, let or me tell anything. you i think billy was about three months at the time and let me tell you i had zero sympathy for you yeah, it went and down it's, like a shit sandwich. it did there's me like boobs inflated hemorrhoids a car i'm obviously really depressed and jimmy's like i'm gonna go to hospital i'm having a panic attack and and you were legitimately having a panic attack well you I, didn't I, know no i didn't know at you the time. did feel yeah. like a heart attack because yeah. panic attacks are horrendous people who just get a bit scared and go i'm having a panic attack that is not a panic attack like it, it's a physical yeah it's reaction and uh but it's because i wasn't even taking but care i of didn't care let alone taking care yeah. of the relationship. But I didn't give a shit. I was no. like, fuck you. You're Now we all have to worry about you going to the hospital. Yeah. I'm here. Which and I that, can totally understand. But that was the level now. of our relationship, yeah. you know, and I just, I felt completely alone and isolated. And when you thought that you were helping me by taking the baby, yeah, I felt left out and I felt about like, you know, and I'm not saying any of this was rational, but so much of this was going on. We didn't even know it was happening. We didn't know. It was all subconscious. Well, I think what I was doing was controlling the baby rather than supporting the mother, rather yeah. than supporting you, you know. But um, I think you didn't know how to support me. No. Like, we weren't talking. We weren't communicating. I don't even think if somebody had said to me, 
tell Jimmy how you're feeling. I honestly don't think I could have found the words. No, and I think at that point, I don't think I was feeling anything. I think I was just... Yeah. Or, or, it, it was... Even my emotions had gone out the window. I was literally just... just the, the only important thing is the baby. Yeah, you were like hyper-fixated, weren't yeah, you? Yeah. Did you feel resentment towards me for my inability to mother in a way that you thought I would or should or could? Uh, should. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. But and again, and again, that comes back and plays in with my terminal rightness. You know, it, 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 it for me, it was like, well, why aren't you doing it the way that I think it should be done? <laughs> you know, like, and, and it, it, it's almost like I saw parenting as like a binary thing. Like you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. You're either doing yeah. it my way or you're fucking it up. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this is the whole point of, of therapy was me saying that, you know, yeah, there's right, there's wrong. But actually, maybe there's a third way, which is, you know, right in a different way. You know, it, it's... Well, it's your way, isn't it? That's the third way. And I think that's, like you say, I think you're not just the only one that's binary about parenting. I think we've been given this binary version of parenting that you're either a good mother or a bad mother. You're uh, you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. And the reality is we just figured out our own way of doing it and we still do it differently. Yeah. But rather than, you know, rather than hating each other or hating that about each other, we accept it. It's like that old thing, isn't it? We've accepted each other as we are, not how we want each other to be. But I, I actually think more than accepted it, I think we've celebrated it in, in moments in that I see that you're way of mothering them has taught them certain things has taught them independence has taught them to be strong has taught them <laughs> that just sounds like like left no. them to like fucking bring themselves up no but do you know the, the story that comes back to me is the one where you were teaching billy we were teaching billy to ride a bike and oh yeah she got on the bike once and she fell off it and she started having a a, a fit and crying and my reaction was, my reaction was, oh, cuddle, cuddle Billy. Take well, she her said she didn't want to do she it. She didn't want to do it. So take her inside. She doesn't want to do it. That's fine. She doesn't have to do it. This is fine. And your reaction was, no, you get back up and you try again. And I had to, phys I mean, this was post-therapy. So I had to fig physically remove myself from the situation because I was so desperate to go, no, we're, we're damaging her. We've got to stop it, you know. And, and in actual fact, you going no you pick yourself up and here you go and you go again you know with love um got her riding a bike pretty much immediately and and had it been me she still wouldn't be right do you know what i mean yeah. do you know no, what i'm saying it makes me want to cry a bit well i just think you've been chopping onions or something i think you might have something in your eye also fyi we must teach bo how to tie her shoelaces and chop onions <laughs> okay so I have a question that I think a lot of women will be really interested to hear about. It's about six inches, probably fairly average. <laughs> Babe, I'm going to be honest. You're kind of underselling yourself a little no, bit there. No, it's a mess. <laughs> a hot ginger mess. How did we get here? Mess. Moving on. What is your understanding of the mental load? And how do you think that impacted our relationship? Because as much as having a baby in that transition really hit us hard I do also remember feeling deep deep-seated resentment and anger for what I saw as me shouldering 
the the mental load that emotional load that women talk about a lot what do you first of all what do you see as the mental emotional load Mm. how do you understand it well how did I understand it I didn't understand it and I think this speaks to a larger societal thing where we don't value being a parent as as a job yeah or as uh, we don't give it value yeah Yeah. we don't give it value so therefore I was brought up I mean my mum was pretty right on about this stuff and she worked and and she she worked hard and she raised me to be you know what I consider for my generation a a feminist yeah and uh, a bleeding heart liberal and you know all of the all of those all of those good woke things but um even even with that upbringing I didn't we, we don't give the mental load any thought we just mm. assume this is stuff that that just happens but it's huge and i well i realize now it is huge i think as well i don't know if i'm expressing myself well i know what you're saying but i don't think well. and i think this is really important to say i don't think men and i think it's unfair of women to hold these resentments against men as being unwilling to take the mental load solely because i do think that's true but i also think that we learned from our mums that we just do this stuff. Yeah, like this is our job. We do it. We don't shout about it. We don't talk about it. We do it. And I do also think that we are unwilling sometimes. Okay, I'll talk in terms of me. I was very unwilling to hand over a lot of that stuff. Well, that that I think is a separate thing. That that's you and me. Well, I think that's a lot of people because you know I still don't let you go anywhere near the laundry. <laughs> and there's two reasons for that. Firstly, because you just don't do it right. That's not because you're bad at laundry. You don't do it right according to me. But secondly, if I tried to tell you how to do the laundry in a way that worked for me, you would be like, fuck this, fuck you, I'm out. I (laughs) am, I am, and I will admit in this this moment of lucidity... (laughs) We've got him in a good moment. (laughs) ...that I am spectacularly bad at being told what to do. So I think that shows that there are two sides to it. Like, I think women have to be able to you know ask for help with the mental load ask Mm. for help with those tiny things that like just go and notice like whether it's writing thank you cards or booking dentist appointments or buying presents for a kid's birthday or you know changing the sheets or organizing play dates organizing play dates you know that sort of thing there's good food yeah yeah, i I mean those tiny little things you know again i'd even take this out of the the I mean, yeah, the gender roles exist. I think it's just a societal problem that we do not value the job, the occupation, the vocation of being a parent. Well, and of being at home. And of being at home. Because I think I think running a house is like running a. I said this to you when we were when we were. Well, I say it to you every day. Sometimes I'm like, running a house is like running a business. And let me tell you, you'd be fucking fired. And it is, it is, it's, there's admin, there's paperwork, there's maintenance, yeah. there's cleaning, it, you know, it's, there's management of fucking laundry schedules and cycles and all the rest of it. It is huge. But without trying to bring this into, you know, uh, for me, this is, this is, you know, capitalism, babe. This is, you know, we value money. We value gross domestic product over everything. We value money over happiness, you know. It's true. We, we value, we value money and people bringing money home, but we don't value the keeping the home running. Yeah. You know, it's almost as, it, I, I don't know, may, maybe if, if if we worked out a wage to pay the, the home. Oh, that has whoever, been done. Has it? I think the, yes, yeah, somebody has, I'm sure Anna Motherpucker will have the answer to that, but there's somebody has worked out the amount of hours the person who works and stays at the oh, home. Oh, 
and how underpaid they are. And then when you add in that that's mostly women. Yeah. And and then you add in the pay, the gender pay gap. Yeah. I mean, it's ri- it's ridiculous. But yeah. that is a different, that's a different, that's a um, different podcast thing. But what I, I will say is that we, we, you and I had a really mind-blowing conversation in bed. It's not that kind of conversation. About how I felt like, I felt like you were the swan and I was the Lex. Yeah, this was a great. This it was, was a, a great. Really... Anal- I work really well on analogy. Yeah, it, Jimmy that loves is an analogy, analogy. Isn't it? not uh-huh. metaphor. Well, it's a metaphor actually. Well, it's it depends. If I say you are the swan and I am the legs, it's a metaphor. If I say you're like the swan and I'm like the legs, it's a simile. Oh, Either God. way, it's an analogy. Marry an English teacher, guys. So I said I feel like you're the fucking swan and I'm the legs and. We had this conversation about I'm how... definitely not fucking a swan. <laughs> Only the king can do that. <laughs> oh no, I've gone! <laughs> good. And now I can do the podcast I really wanted to do. Okay, stop. Oh. Okay. Right, this is a really important point. Okay. Because I think the conversation, the real highlight of the conversation was that parenting isn't just being with the kids, playing with the kids, crafting with the kids, doing all of that stuff. Parenting also has to be yes. the laundry, the admin, the stuff that, you know, means the food is there and the, the meals are... The school application. The school application. That is also parenting. Yes. And I think that's what isn't valued you know, we do value, I think, to a certain extent, people, are, you know, when people see people playing with their kids, they're like, oh, you're such a good mum. But sure. people see them doing loads of laundry and running around doing chores and errands and picking up little Johnny and taking him to bloody wherever. That's not valued as parenting. But I think sure. we need to see that as parenting. Yeah. And you take on the majority of the playing parenting because I hate playing. Mm. That's not how I interact best with the kids. I interact best with the kids when they're going to bed and I'm having a cuddle and we're talking about all sorts of things or I take them out and we do something fun. That's me. I cannot sit on the floor and play tea parties. I will mm. gouge my own eyes out with a rusty spoon. I, you've always used the tea party thing. It's because I remember coming in and you had once set up an entire fucking tea party. I think it was the only time with like I cakes, ever did a tea, tea party. in the little cups, a little rug on the floor. It was like a fucking event. But if you're going to throw a tea party, you may as well do it. Do it properly. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it properly. Uh, agreed. But it really triggered me seeing you do that. Yeah. But look, we can talk about it now. Okay, there is a few questions from listeners. Sometimes I call them readers by accident. Okay, so this is an interesting one. How do you actually put into practice what you learned in couples counselling? We just revert right back to being vile after the sessions. It's so expensive and we can't keep doing the sessions. Yes. We didn't talk for the first six weeks no. outside of the sessions, outside did we? Outside of the sessions, no. we, I mean, we did the bare yeah. minimum. We yeah. were civil in front of the kids and we did all... But as soon as the kids were out the picture, they were at school or in bed, we just went our separate ways. We couldn't risk talking to each other because we just didn't trust ourselves not to say the worst mm. thing in the world. As, as far as sort of the domestic situation went, for me, it was start small. So I can't think of a good example of this. But for me, it was like, all right, say, for example, you know, my terminal rightness. I'm, I'm going to cook, you know, this for dinner. I'm going to cook spaghetti bolognese for dinner tonight. And if you'd have said, no, I don't want that, I would have 
you know previously kicked off it's being conscious in the moment being trying to be conscious in the moment and go all right I, i'm going to try this little thing and go all right let's let's try it your way this little thing you know I'm, it's not too much of a big deal not you too can tr- much, exactly. t- test it yeah dip your toe dip your toe into sort of into trying. reasonableness yeah in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dip your toe in the lake of reasonability um <laughs> that was it for me was baby steps and and you know the big shit will take care of itself you know my nan used to say look after the pennies and the pounds will look after themselves i think everybody's nan used to say that uh, with, uh, yeah well sorry it, i didn't mean that to sound like you're not special my nan was very special so um she go was fuck yourself. <laughs> the, 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 but i think i think try something small try something something little and see how it feels try it on for size and I think if, if you can get a couple of little things right, then suddenly you give yourself the examples. You, do you know what I mean? Give yourself the knowledge that the little things work and then you can have the faith that, that the, the big, big things, things are going to work. And I have to say, you took to that before me. So sometimes, in it's fact, not, all the time, it yeah, does take... I mean, I'm a lot better at oh, this. fuck off. Sometimes it does take one person to do it first without resentment that the other person isn't yet there. Because I saw you do that. Yeah. And it really, eventually, I kind of was attracted to that as well. And I yeah. and I saw how much better we were when you were doing that. And I realized that I could be vulnerable and I could give in sometimes as well. Or I could just be not selfish and yeah. just let you have your way. And it wasn't that big of a deal. And so I really admire that you were able to do that without there being like a uh, qualification that I wasn't doing it so why should you you were like fuck it I'm just going to take care of me and I'm going to this is I'm going to see if this works for me and inevitably that helped our relationship I think I think the thing is going back to what what I said initially what got me into therapy um I think it's the gift of desperation I think it you know if I'm confronted with a situation where, or if I was confronted with a situation that I found triggering or that I found irritating in any way it's like well you know, at the time, 40 years of my thinking has got me here. Yeah. To this fucking shithole. <laughs> yeah. So why don't I try another way? There has to be another. I may as well try it. Yeah. You know, it's try this way or it's leave. So I'm going to try it. What's the harm in trying it? Yeah. I remember the, the therapist saying to us when, when we were fighting a lot, trying to disarm. And this sounds really petty. This sounds really stupid. But trying to disarm an argument get yourself out of the argument out of that headspace and she said um offer the other person a cup of tea you know which i know sounds a bit cliche and a little bit namby pamby especially if you've just had a blazing row but if you can just take a moment and and go let's just breathe have a cup of tea for a second let's have a cup of tea come back to it just that pause you know really helps diffuse really helps diffuse and it was doing silly little things like that and going, actually, maybe there's something in this because this has worked. Maybe there's something in this a little bit And sometimes more. that helps you remind you that this argument is just surface. You know, yeah. that, and actually the reality is you're together forever and you make a cup of tea and you sit down and this is how you live. But right now you're going through this shit thing, but let's have a cup of tea. And there were definitely times when you tried that and misjudged it. You're really specific. Because I remember once you were like, come on, let's have a hug. Uh, no, and that, I was like, that's, I swear to God, if you touch me, I'm going to cut you. Yeah, that's about me um, 
you were like, let's just, it's, it's fine. Let's just make it better. But sometimes hugging is about me trying to physically control you. I realise yeah. that now. Sometimes me hugging you is, it's almost, I may as well it's stick. Like stop. Yeah, I may as well stick a finger up to your lips and go, shh. You did do that once. Quiet now. Yeah, that went down well. I, I don't think there's a judge in the land that would have put <laughs> me in prison if I'd have killed you. I don't, yeah. You mm. literally put your finger to my lips and went, shh. Quiet now. Quiet now. Sleep time. <laughs> oh, it, even now that brings me out in a bit of a rage. I think I need to step 10 that. So this is interesting as well. Next question. And in fact, these two sort of link together. So I'm going to sort of read them both. We'll see. Somebody says, I'm interested to know how you both deal with, with resentment towards each other, like for things that have been said or done in the past. How do you forget and move on? It's something I'm really struggling with, particularly as a mum who is automatically assumed to pick up childcare and household roles as well. And then the other question, which is almost the same, essentially, is how do you find a solution, come to an agreement when there's an argument that each one of you has a different opinion on and you can't agree? Does one just have to accept things won't happen the way they want? And I realise they sound like different questions, but I think... No, but I think they're coming from the same place. Let's the, take the first answer one The answer is the solution is the same. <clears throat> the first one first, resentment, um, holding on to resentment. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, you know exactly, because I on. love this. But is. a friend of mine said, holding on to a resentment for somebody else is like drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. The only person that a resentment is hurting is you. There's got to be a moment where you've got to let shit go. And, and it's not about ignoring it. It's not about forgetting it. I think it's about, and I think this comes from realising or taking the time rather than to, when it's a resentment, it's generally because somebody, you perceive somebody else has done something bad to you or hasn't cared about you or hasn't thought about you yeah. or has done something mean. You're focusing in that resentment on what somebody else has done. The, the good one for us was um, the dishwasher. So I have a habit and I still have a habit yeah. of putting dishes on the side and not putting them in the dishwasher right so cat is you were resentful about that am I right to say I think that's fair okay and for me I'm just going but I'm just sticking sticking a dish there it's not a big deal I'll do it later and it's not a big deal to me but we we then sort of took ourselves out of that specific situation and started saying, well, okay, Kat has asked Jimmy to do something and by Jimmy not doing it, Jimmy is saying a bunch of stuff. So Jimmy is saying, I don't care about your opinion. Well, you're not saying it, I'm hearing it. Yeah, you're, this is what you're hearing. Yeah. I don't care about your opinion. I don't love you enough to change my behaviour. Um, you'll clean up after me. You'll clean up. You don't mean anything to me. You know, all of this stuff. So it, it, this was the, the, the good thing about learning the language a little bit was Kat then being able to come to me and say, listen, I don't feel like you're keeping me in mind and I don't feel like you are respecting me or that you care about me when you do this. Yeah. And then suddenly it takes on, rather than me going, oh God, it's only a dish. I'm able to go, oh, the concept of the dish is bigger than the dish itself. Yeah, it's another the dish. So how about I do actually keep her in mind? Because I do love her. At the oh, end. look at that. Did you hear that, everybody? No, I'm speaking theoretically, obviously. <laughs> um, I, no, I love you. Uh, love I, you I do love her and I want her to feel... I'm here, you know. 
I I know, but I'm I'm. Are you talking to the listeners? I'm talking to, to I'm talking very to very Alan Partridge. Listeners. Hi, listeners. So so for for me, if you can take yourself out of the specific resentment and try and work out what's going on in the bigger picture, then I'm able to more easily and without a further resentment adjust my behaviour. Well, and also accept your part in it. Yeah, totally. Because I think that's been huge. And obviously, I'm, as people know, working through the 12 steps. And that's such a huge, huge part of I don't know that recovery. It. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I only do it for content, you know. <laughs> that's what the trolls say. That I'm pretending to be an alcoholic for content. I don't want to hear about those trolls. Um, but part of that is, is really owning your stuff. And I think what I was going back to when I was talking earlier about resentment always being focused on somebody else's behavior or actions the reality is that you can't let go of that resentment until you figure out what your part in it is because it's never just one person it, you always and it's not about blame figuring out your part in it isn't about finding something to blame yourself for but it's about figuring out how in any way you might have contributed to it happening so you know, for example, yesterday when I was really spiky with you, mm. I mean, I wasn't out and out, bitch. Oh, I was pretty bitchy when you dropped that box and threw everything all over the floor because you, you weren't very careful. You heard it here, folks. I was a bit of a twat then. But in previous years, would have like ignored that and just spent the rest of the day stomping around. Mm. And do you know what Jimmy did? Jimmy brought me a cup of tea. Yes. Not even joking. Actually brought me a cup of tea. And I said, listen, I'm sorry. I was spiky and even now it still sticks in my throat. I don't like apologizing and I don't like doing it. I don't like owning my shit. Mm. But if I'd have gone, you just can never be fucking careful. You're so careful. You always knock everything over. You never think you always want to do something quickly rather than well, mm. blah, blah, blah. That's not going to fix anything. Instead, I went, listen, I overreacted. I'm mad. I'm tired. And it's not an excuse, but I was unreasonably grumpy. Yeah. And then you were like, well, I should have probably been a bit more careful. Which I should have. Which you should have. And so in, I could have. in that sense, I let go of that resentment yeah. because I knew that I'd played a role in it. Now, if anybody's sitting here listening and going, yeah, but, but what is your part in the putting the dish next to the dishwasher and not putting it in? Sometimes it's just that simple. Sometimes it is just that simple. I didn't Some, put it in the dishwasher. Yeah, sometimes there isn't another part. And that. there are sometimes when people are out and out despicable to you and there isn't really room for you to Absolutely. go. Absolutely where's my part in it but those times are actually quite rare yeah they're they're a lot rarer than you think and if there is somebody who's making you feel like that on a regular basis then that's probably quite a toxic relationship and you need to think about whether you need Get it in your life yeah. yeah it's empowering to know because it helps you realize as well that you've got agency over yeah you are powerful over you yourself. are powerful over yeah. yourself and focus working that muscle in our relationship i think working that muscle where we have focused on our own shit and really focused on when we fight because we do still fight yeah when we fight we both go away and think about what we did rather yeah. than what the other person did has yeah. been transformational yeah and you started it before i did and you would come back and go well i've thought about my part in it and i'm sorry for this and i'd still be seething and i'd be like fucking hell now i have to apologize for my part in it well it does make it worse before it makes it because <laughs> going back to somebody going I've thought about my part. <laughs> there's, there's ways there's of doing it. There's some smug bastard yeah, element yeah, yeah. to yeah, it. Exactly. Um, but no, you weren't. You did, you know, and it, and it, it again, you blazed the trail and I kind of followed. Rode my coattails. I did, yeah. You have made me into a better human. You heard it here first. 
it's not easy this relationship thing and we're in a good place now and we've been in a good place for a very long time but I'm always prepared for it to go to shit (laughs) (laughs) well you know but I think listen we're going to be together for the rest of our lives how old are we now 40 43 43 I am uh let's say we're together for another 40 years 50 years yeah not there's all of be, those years are going to be good. There's going to be a couple of moments. It's going to be I'm shit. Sure. Yeah. So that's okay because I think that we are equipped to deal with that as long as I don't fuck it up. But also there's a recognition between us that, that even though we've been through therapy, it doesn't mean we've completed therapy. Oh, no, we mean, haven't. No, know, you, there's no medal. We've got through this bit and it doesn't mean... <laughs> yeah. It doesn't mean that, God, you know, God forbid later down in the road that we might not split up yeah no I mean? totally we've got through this bit therapy helped us got through this get, hang on a minute sorry. i just got to tell my boyfriend that i'm running late yeah therapy <laughs> got us through this bit you know there's gonna be another bit i'm sure and, and we will go back to therapy absolutely and paula and, I, and don't and, forget and her. hopefully therapy will get us through that bit as well maybe it won't man but like you you've got to try like i say i've tried my own way yeah, and that didn't work. So, we, you, and it's that, and insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Absolutely. The other one of that was, how do you find a solution or come to an agreement when there's an argument? Right. So, quickly, I would just say, you know, the mantra for me is, how important is this? You know. No, no, that's not your mantra. What's your real mantra? Because I've talked about this mantra, which is my favourite mantra. Whoever smelt it, dealt it. <laughs> not that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Go on. Um, Are you feeling under the pressure because you can't think what it is? I can't think what my okay, mantra I'm gonna whisper, is. Okay, I'm going to whisper it. Hang on, wait. Oh, yes. There you go. Yes. It's a big is, one. It's yeah, your big that one. It's my big one. Yes, yes. Would you rather be right or be happy? It, it's like it's like with road rage. You know, for me, I used to get mad road rage. I I've, still do. I've lost teeth because of my mad road rage. Is that true? Yeah, that, that front tooth. Shut came up. Out. I yeah. never knew. What, because somebody punched you? Yeah. Anyway, um, but <laughs> it's like somebody cuts you up. You've got a choice. Learn something new every you day. You know, my terminal rightness meant that I would follow somebody down the road, beeping my horn and swearing at them. Would you rather be right or be happy? Would you rather just let that go and go, do you know what? There goes somebody who is being a bit of a dick today and has cut me up. I'd rather just get on with my day. Or would you rather be happy? But when you're having a disagreement like... Can we think of an ex- a real-life example? I can think of a real-life example. Go for it. My real-life example war is painting the shed. Oh, yeah. You really want to paint the shed. Yeah. I really don't want to paint the shed. Jimmy likes the kind of knackered look. The rustic wood. It's not rustic. You don't wood. respect the wood. That's the that's the. I do respect the wood. You don't res- You don't respect wood. I <laughs> no I'm not one hundred percent sure, world. Um, but the the, the um, I do respect wood, and well, then the you wood. will respect the shed wood. Uh, I um, uh, shed wood. Irish X Factor winners. Yeah, um, it's like losers. a band. Yeah. Good evening, we're shed wood. Yeah. It's like you were, you said to me, I really like, I want to paint the shed today. I and still it, might, by the way. And to me, it's just about me, exp- you know, we're at a point now where we can express our opinions and the other person will hear it. So I express my opinion. I would really prefer not to paint the shed. I really like the natural wood of the shed. 
and sometimes it's worth it's, sticking you know, up and just expressing yourself and, yeah. and sticking up for your print. Sometimes it's not. You know, you wanted to paint the kitchen. I really thought it was a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Nailed it, though, no, didn't I? I've, I know you've nailed it, and it does look amazing. But but I really thought it was a terrible idea. And then, But it's like, how strongly do I feel about this? Do I feel strongly enough to actually fight about this? Or would I rather just be happy and let this go? And then when she fucks it up, turn around and go, fucking told you so. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, and, and it is it is that. I think, in, I think there has to be an understanding that compromise isn't always possible. Sometimes the decision is, are we going to do it or not? Is it, it is, sometimes those decisions are black and white. And if you disagree on that, one of you has to give in. And I find that really difficult. And like I've said, Jimmy's generally the first one to do that. And then, I, and then that makes me feel safe doing it on other occasions. But it, sometimes it takes one person to kind of model that behavior mm. before the other person kind of catches up. Um, I mean, this is going to sound like a really, really insane example. Um, and I'm simplifying the thought process massively. But when you got the dog... <laughs> oh, God... When I we when I left for work one day saying no, I don't want a dog. No, and then I stop kept, right there. No, absolutely <laughs> stop right there because already you are mispresenting, misrepresenting what happened. Right. When I left for work one day saying I would really prefer not to have a dog, but you are an adult and I am not going to. And, uh, and you, you can know, do what you want. Thinking that that meant, I thought that meant let's not go anyway. When I came home and there was a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, or another. I've and never seen you as as quietly angry, but as you were that day. I went. I found a mate of mine, and I, we talked it through. And it was like, all right, here are my options. <laughs> I could get rid of the dog, <laughs> like not like old Yeller, but like, <laughs> I could get rid of the dog. I could take the dog back, but the kids are going to absolutely hate me. Never forgive me. This is. What about the kids? I would never forgive yeah, you. this was not... Like the kids. Okay, that's not really an option. Okay, <laughs> option number two, I could leave. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you considered that. Or option number three, <laughs> option number three is I could accept the world for how it is and just trying to get try and get on board with the dog. And so I've done that. I've decided that on balance it was better <laughs> play with the dog and now you love her well yeah i do love her now but do you know what i mean it, it, yeah it, it, i mean i really did push the does, boundaries there yeah. but it was but do you know what i didn't do it i didn't do it for shits and giggles i really did it because i, I knew i was pushing the boundaries of course i did but i really thought it was the right thing to do okay and it was billy is now not scared of dogs you yeah. adore her yeah the kids are gr- she's yeah. nothing but joy and we've got something else to take care of oh, which we def- definitely sake. needed Jesus Christ! Yeah, but okay. do you know what I'm? What I'm trying to say is, is, is like, you know, you've got options. You've yeah. got, you've yes. got choices with everything, and and sometimes the best option is to go. Do you know what? I'm going to compromise about this one, or I'm going to give in. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to let in. it go. Yeah, because actually, the bigger picture is your happiness worth this? Is your happiness worth fighting over the fact that you want the the living room to be beige and the other person wants it to be eggshell you know it's it's and also it's it's it at what price you're at what price but also you do need to recognize that something there needs to be a balance there as well you can't always be the one making concessions 
you know and if you are if you feel like you are then then that's a conversation to yeah, have of course okay the final two questions that aren't really to do directly with couples therapy relationships but they are to do with you the problems i bring to the relationship okay the first one is oh here it is how has cat being diagnosed with adhd impacted your marriage and how do you both manage it this is from a struggling wife of an amazing musician but hard work adhd husband would you say i was hard work uh you have moments of being hard work yeah agreed. i also having have uh, i also having moments i i also have moments of being hard work um what has the diagnosis meant to me well it explains a lot <laughs> But also, it's like a lot of these sort of diagnoses that people get for different things. It's like, uh, another one of my favourite phrases is, you know, we have to know what people are capable of. So you wouldn't take your car to the bakers and ask them to fix your car because that's not what they do. That's not what they're capable of. It's not their strength. It's not their strength. So, like, I know what... (laughs) a bit more about what you're potentially capable of and all the diagnosis has done is put the sign up saying this is a baker's <laughs> does that make sense yeah. don't bring any kind of uh, responsibility in terms of looking after small things well like not children, children. not joking? children but like headphone jack heads yeah, 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 yeah. or yeah, yeah. keys yeah or locking sunglasses out a lot and, i lock myself out all the you time know, it, it, it's difficult because we're only what three months after the but diagnosis five so i sort of feel like i don't i i don't know that i can necessarily comment on that right now also you saying i've got worse yeah i feel like you've got worse but then maybe i'm looking for it more i don't know well no i spoke to my psychiatrist about this and he said it's really normal it's it's unmasking and a lot of women specifically are very good at masking things like ADHD and autism, it's why we're diagnosed a lot less. And so the effort of masking can be a huge underlying cause of things like anxiety and depression and burnout, all of things which I have suffered from extensively in the past. Mm. And so now that you know why you feel that way, you tend to kind of lean into it a little bit. Right. And so I think that's why I've lo- I'm locking myself out more. And now I'm late all the time. Like I was never late before. I used to make mm. everybody get there five days early because I knew something in my head. I was masking that inability to be there on time. And that was stressful for me. It was stressful for you. Yeah. Now I'm late. But I think, I think having the diagnosis um, has started a learning journey about it. And, and, but also... An, you know you're getting all my fucking catchphrases here but like i'm i'm with with you i treat you as i like to think i treat everybody which is i try and love you for what you are and forgive you for what you're not and 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 it's it it's just another sort of flag of sort of like boundary of sort of i know what to expect i know what to not expect Listen, we could be listening back to this in six months' time and I've fucking left because it's all too much. <laughs> well, but also, my, you know, ADHD is tricky, but it does also have its upsides. You were like, it's also responsible for the fact that, like, you know, I, I 
push us a lot to move yeah, and to go yeah, and okay, yeah, to like I'm fucking out. I know you need prompt, prompt me on this stuff, Jimmy. Don't you remember saying yeah. how wonderful I am with ADHD? I said, I said last night. I said, do you, do you want me to prepare for this? Should I listen? Should I read the questions first? No, no, no. You do you. You do whatever you want to do. <laughs> now I haven't got, I haven't got a clue. Um, it, uh, yes, there is no doubt that with my sort of it, lazy inertia, we would have still been, you know. Renting a, a moth-ridden flat in wasn't wherever moth, we there were. weren't moths. They no. were bird fleas. Because you, were, yeah, you, bird bite, bird mites. Bird mites. Because you, you want to push forward all the time because you, that's how how you next are. Thing, next thing. Next, next thing, thing. Next thing. Next thing. Next thing. And and you do push us forward. You know, there's there's a balance to be struck, and I think these days we can probably strike it a bit better than we previously have. Yeah, we are striking it better. Mm. Um, and then finally, it's a big question, but one that I don't think we need to spend ages on, but. Um, how did you feel when I was in active addiction? How did we deal with that? It's a huge question, but essentially, I mean, how was my active addiction for you? What were your worry points? And I think in the question, she mentioned something about like, am I going to be safe when I'm out worrying about me? Um, how was that? Um, that's hard. It was hard. Um, yeah, worrying about whether somebody's safe when they're out um is difficult um it's very very difficult i i think it, you know it this sounds really brutal um and it feels kind of brutal when you're doing it but you know there there is a point at which you know i i i know with addiction that i can't control it so I have a choice. My choice when you would go out, my choice was to sit and worry or to try and get on with my stuff, try and make myself, you know, do something nice for myself, make myself happy, mm -hmm. you know, keep the focus on me rather than worry about you, you know, um... I tried, not initially, but I tried in, in later years very hard to give you the dignity to make your own mistakes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you going out, uh, whether I sat and worried about it or whether I screamed and shouted about it or whatever I did, nothing would stop you from going out. Nothing changed the end result. Nothing changed the end result. So at, at that point, I realised I have a choice to either sit and worry and, and make myself miserable or just get on and keep the focus on me and, and treat myself. And the kids. And do a bit of self-care, make sure I'm okay make sure the kids are okay and that that was kind of that was kind of it and you know and for somebody in in somebody in a relationship with with addiction that that may sound harsh that may sound horrible it may sound impossible it may sound impossible yeah but uh, again y you know baby steps like mm -hmm. you would go out and you know yes i'd still be worrying but i would go right i'm going to cook myself a nice meal whether I want to or not, I'm going to, you know, and, and 
gradually you get i got to a point where you know whether, whether the shit stuff happened or didn't happen i knew that i had no control over it so i would have to deal with it when it came up rather than you couldn't preempt it or stop I it from happening. I couldn't preempt it and I couldn't stop it from happening. You never, so. ever, ever said to me, I think you're drinking too much or... Are you sure you... about that? Not in recent years. Not in recent years. No. no. I mean, a long time ago, but certainly not in recent years. No. And I wonder how hard that was. F- well, I wonder if you did think I was drinking too much. <laughs> I'd had previous relationships with people that had addiction issues addiction issues so i think for me and also because i was never a heavy drinker at all i don't drink at all anymore but yeah just to clarify you're not sober you just don't drink exactly and so i i don't think i i don't think i knew i don't think i knew what normal drinking looked like yeah you know quote unquote normal drinking do you know what i mean i don't think i knew what too much looked like and what not enough you got to remember where I work. You know, I work mm. in an industry where, you know, it's very normal. Beer o'clock is fucking any time you want, man. Like there's uh, and and it's and normal. Coke o'clock. Yeah, and it's normal to turn up to not normal, but it's 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 not unusual to see people turn up to work pissed or or turn up to work on whatever. So you know, it's 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 not the eighties. It's not as bad as it used <laughs> to be, but I'm sure. But uh, you know, the pay was better in the eighties. I can neither confirm nor deny that. It, I, I had a very bad vantage point mm. with which to judge. Was I different drinking. when I drank and when I didn't drink? Yeah, of course you were. When you drank, you were pissed. <laughs> you know, this isn't my step nine, but I do want to say that I am sorry for all that worry I caused you because that is, you know, it's heartbreaking to hear. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that. and it, uh, But, you know, equally... When I'm, I say this isn't my step nine, what I mean is... There's a lot more when I do step my step nine sure. with you. It will be a while. It will be. We'll need an afternoon. Yeah, sure. I, 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 I wasn't blameless in any of that, you know. And I was definitely at points very controlling about things. And I wasn't blameless about uh, with with not not blame. You know, I didn't cause your drinking either. No. But I wasn't faultless. Is what I'm going to say. There was there was a ho- it was the perfect storm. What's the difference now? How has it how has it affected our relationship? Maybe let's go there. Do you think that me being sober has improved our relationship? Yeah, I feel like we're closer. Yeah, I feel like we can be closer. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's opened up a whole world of sort of. You know, we can go and do things socially a lot. Uh, it's it's a lot more relaxing for me to go and do things socially yeah. with you. Um, I'm still not a massively sociable person do you know what way. though now that i don't drink i'm not really either i think i think uh well, i think perhaps you weren't that sociable when you were drinking. no that's what i mean yeah. i think i, I don't it, it's funny being sober makes you realize that a lot of the things you think you really loved actually you don't really love but you yeah. were drinking to kind of get through them yeah. or you were drinking because you wanted to hang out with the people that were doing you know it wasn't like i love i hate going to clubs i mean i've always hated going to clubs even when i was drinking but any kind of really loud noises, big yeah. parties, anything like that, I really struggle. I don't enjoy it all, whether I'm drinking or not. Um, but, yeah, I do think it's brought us closer. I think, as well, it's made us more honest with each other. I'm more honest with you, and I think you're more honest with... I'm more honest with you in terms of how I'm feeling, and in, and, and you can trust me more. Yeah. But also, I think you're more honest with me because there, there was a lack of connection 
when you were distancing yourself from me and my drinking. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's also important to, to emphasise that just because you've stopped drinking doesn't mean we're now in, you know, golden pastures where... Oh, no, I'm still an addict. Yeah, and, 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 and me recognising that, again, it's the same thing with the ADHD. It's, it's putting the sign up so I know you're a bakery. <laughs> Did you, would you have met... If I'd have, like, come when we first met and gone, hi, so I'm an addict and I've got ADHD, hi, you'd have been like, yeah, no, not for me. I and actually, know. I think it's probably been the perfect thing for you. Yeah, maybe. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> reserve judgment. <laughs> maybe in one way, but in another more accurate way. <laughs> um, in another right way. Yeah, just because you, you, you're sober doesn't mean that, you know, we're, we are now happily ever after. You know, there are obviously other things, like you say, you're still an addict and there's there's other things that that's throwing up. But it it... It's definitely taken a big, it's taken a big chunk out of, it's taken a big symptom out. Well, it's I mean? removed that elephant in the room, hasn't it? So yeah. now we can move more freely you're around no each other. You're no longer so pissed you're seeing elephants in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Does that, I, I, I don't know, it, it's, you know, I'm still having to work on the fact that, you know, when you were drinking... I was very controlling and very manipulative and very protective over certain things. And, very, and, and you, you know, were able to justify that because I yeah. was out of control and I was unsafe. And now you're not. I'm still, and it's a work in progress. It's take, It took me 40 years to get to that point. It's going to take me a little while to unlearn it. You know, realising that, that, you know, I don't have to be in control all the time. I don't have, I can, you know. The only thing you can, well, focusing your control on the only thing you can control. Right, yeah, which is which is me. Yeah, but it's also being able to see now that there are certain things that happen that I thought were because of drinking that aren't necessarily that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that sounds weird. So what you're saying is you're a cunt both ways. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I didn't know we could say cunt. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have said that. Okay, listen, I think we'll leave it there. I am going to use this as a special because I think that this conversation has been really, really interesting and useful and I hope a lot of people can relate to it and get something from it. Jimmy Sims, are you prepared for all the fan mail you're going to get and the requests to continue doing no, a podcast I'm, together? I'm can we I'm do a podcast together? The, no. That's the spirit, Jimmy. Listen, I'm going to convince him that we should do a podcast together. Leave it with me. Listen, I'm telling you right now, ladies and gentlemen, he's loved every minute no, of this. No, of course I have. It's been, you know, because again, the thing that therapy's given us is is that we can sit here and talk and we are talking the same language now. It, it's been miraculous in its in its transformation of our relationship. And well done us for that, actually, because High you know five. what? That it took a fucking load of work. Thank you once more. Listen, it's been an hour. It must be time for another poo. Uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> It's not how I want to end the podcast. Okay, well, shall we end it on deciding who's picking up the kids this afternoon? Because it's one o'clock and you're going I'm into town. I'm happy to do that. I shouldn't be too long. Well, if you need me to do it, let me know. Okay, I love you. I love you too. Thank you, Jimmy Sins. Yeah.
You're Never the Only One is written and presented by me, Kat Sims, author of The First Time You Smiled or Was It Just Wind and creator of Not So Smug Now, an online platform for those of us who are waking up every day and just trying to do the best they can. Follow me and get all your podcast info by heading to at Not So Smug Now on Instagram and TikTok and NotSoSmugNow.com. You'll also be able to read things I write, including articles and my book, which, by the way, is probably the best baby shower gift you can get at the moment. And soon you'll be able to pick up merch there as well. You're Never the Only One is produced and edited by Lucy Lucroft and executive producers are Bonnie Barry and Parami Kodakara. Our original music is written and performed by Hot Salad. Yeah, I really fancy the bass player. Please check them out wherever you stream your music and on Instagram at your mum likes hot salad. This world is complicated. Everything moves so quick. And lying to yourself if you think that you got it lit. Everybody loves. You're never the only one. You're never the only one. Don't live inside your shame. Cause everybody makes mistakes. Oh. Don't judge me, I'm a weakness. Don't judge me. Spend on you, you're allowed to be happy too.